Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of T Minus 10. It's a show with 10 minute takes on the future of education and healthcare. I'm Tim Fitzpatrick, your host, and today I am joined by Henry Peck. Henry, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Tim. I can't tell you how excited I am to have you on because obviously you and I have known each other all the way back to the MIT hacking COVID days. Um, your background is fascinating. Your story is fascinating. Um, I want to give people an idea of kind of your path to where you are now, but uh, certainly your patient story is what resonated with me most when we first started chatting. So please, if you would, give uh, give folks an idea who you are and, and how you got here. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't believe how long it's been since those uh, MIT hacking medicine events too. But yeah, my name is Henry. Thanks so much for having me on, Tim. As you said, we've known each other for a while and really bonded over the patient journeys that got us interested and excited about healthcare and healthcare technology startups more broadly. But um, you know, I was born with a unique neuromuscular condition under my eyes and kind of my eyelids. When you go to the eye doctor, you know, they kind of wave the finger this way, that way, and then they have you raise it. And you're supposed to be able to raise your eyelids. I didn't have the muscles and nerves that allowed me to do that. And unfortunately, it was a degenerative condition. So if I didn't get it addressed, it would have continued to worsen until I was functionally blind as an adult. So I'm extremely grateful for the multiple eye surgeries that I had between the ages of one and 17. Um, and through that journey, you know, I got to see the healthcare system from a variety of different lenses um, as a patient going under, as a young child in surgery, rehabilitation, um, you know, meeting with people to prove that the, the procedures were medically necessary and not cosmetic. And, um, you know, and then all the way over to, you know, to the eye doctor and um, you know, specialists and all these different things that really just got me interested in the system. But what really resonated with me, what I fell in love with the most were the actual implants they were using to correct the procedure or to correct the issue. So that was what really sparked my interest in the intersection of healthcare and technology. Um, so I went to Carnegie Mellon University. I studied mechanical engineering and very quickly realized there are some super smart people who do mechanical engineering at schools like that. And so um, I loved it. I loved the background, but the work life was not for me. It wasn't really activating the skill sets that were exciting me to do work like that every day. So I kind of pivoted across the gamut from engineering to user experience to product and marketing, um, where I find myself now after some time in the medical robotics prosthesis and exoskeleton space uh, with a company called Altoida, which is building an augmented reality and artificial intelligence driven platform to diagnose and monitor neurological diseases and brain health. I love it. So first of all, thank you for walking us through that. Um, I'm really excited because I see the parallels because you and I have chatted so many times over the last two years between Altoida and probably what many people who have listened to other guests on the show or who I've talked to in the past are, are used to. But there, there is just so much overlap in the education lens. So if you would, I know you kind of just gave a, a really high level on Altoida, but I want you to kind of frame what Altoida is doing because it's super important in terms of creating that new category in, in an area that people will relate to. And then your role, you mentioned product marketing and kind of transitioning out of the engineering mindset. So kind of connect the two for us. Absolutely. So, you know, the learning aspect of healthcare, I think is often underappreciated. And when people think about a lot of the emerging technologies that are being, that are exciting now, virtual and augmented reality, things like that, they often, I think, mis, misattribute the innovation of the technology to being innovation in, in tech alone, not just, but the innovation is really in the learning science behind it. So at Altoida, part of what we do is we use immersive technology as a way to assess the brain. So we get you 
to fully express the way that your brain thinks and remembers and functions in our 10-minute activity battery that's deployed on a mobile device, an iOS or Android smartphone or tablet. So rather than have you draw um, you know, a clock on a piece of paper or answer some silly memory questions that aren't fully immersing and activating your brain, we have you fully perform in augmented reality and it's the right level of immersion for the right activity. And I think that's like, when you draw that back to learning, those parallels are there. When I think about what you do at Icona and when I think about some of the others in the space using these technologies to educate people and train, it's activating the right parts of the brain. It's activating the brain in its totality at the times you want to. And so that's how we collect our data to train machine learning models to make diagnoses of diseases like Alzheimer's, for which we received FDA breakthrough device designation, and other disease states that we're working towards like Parkinson's, schizophrenia, et cetera. And my role at the company, um, I'm the director of global marketing. Uh, I joined the company a year ago, right after the new chief executive officer and the founding team brought him in. Um, and I've been kind of the sole commercial employee. As we now grow the company, a lot of really exciting, awesome things happening, people joining, uh, some really cool partnerships that we're doing now, namely with Click Therapeutics and GN Hearing, makers of Jabra and Resound, if you're familiar with their consumer and medical audio solutions. So we've, uh, we've really expanded that. And, you know, the education aspect for me is not just in the technology itself, but educating pharmaceutical partners on how this new paradigm shift in measuring the brain can be useful in their clinical trials. It's educating providers on how these technologies that maybe they didn't have when they were training in neurology, but how these can be useful to them as part of the diagnostic workup. And for patients, it's helping them understand how these technologies work and why they want access to health insights like this early, the things they can do, the risk factors they can control to manage and improve their brain health. I love this. First of all, congrats, congratulations. I saw the partnership announcements and that's such a huge win. And I know that's a, a huge part of your day to day and what you've been trying to grow at, at the company. So congrats. Um, I, I do think if we could talk a bit more about, I know biomarkers are a piece of what you do Within the pharmaceutical pharma industry, I know that there are uh, quite a few people that I've spoken to uh, kind of along the same lines of what we've talked about on this show who are involved in that space and access to clinical trials and how we think about, especially in the kidney disease population, which uh, many people I, I talk to care about, how can they be thinking about what something novel like an immersive technology is doing that addresses the challenges they're seeing in either access to trials or how they think about virtual clinical remote trials. Um, how is that gonna change the way that they see things over the next few years in a way that is something for them to kind of hang on to? Absolutely, well, you know, when you think about it from, from the pharmaceutical company perspective, you know, it is, it's extremely challenging for them, especially in the neurological disease space, to find the right patients for these trials. It's not easy to get patients that are consistent with the pathology you're looking for, to pull them out of clinical practice and, and recruit them into these trials. And oftentimes that leads to cumbersome, long and expensive screening processes with high failure rates. And sometimes if the wrong patients sneak in the trial, now the therapy's probability of success may go down in that trial. So we are really convinced that pharma has been hampered in the neurological disease space and kneecapped by a lack of sensitive screening tools and biomarkers to help them figure out who's a good fit for that trial. Conversely, when you administer a therapy, 
the way that you measure the response of that therapy in the neurological disease space is call it analog at best, right? It's been, it's these old school paper and pencil tests that they're looking at as endpoints and some of these more cumbersome imaging and cerebrospinal fluid based biological biomarkers. So what we're providing is a monitoring solution to see granular changes longitudinally in how someone is responding to a therapy. So you monitor somebody, you know, consistently in high frequency, and now you build the robust profile of how this therapy is working for this individual and how they can be thinking about it is the enormous amount of data that you can collect with a digital platform like ours and the digital biomarkers that we, that we generate. We have 800 individual features that are being looked at every time you take this test. And that number continues to expand as we grow our IP. But you compare that with an analog paper and pencil test or any other digital company that has just put those analog tests on an iPad, our novel augmented reality solution elicits and extracts so much data that we can now look at patient populations and better segment them into who's going to respond to a therapy based on demographics, genomics, other aspects of precision medicine. So that's what we really think of when we say we're bringing precision neurology into this, you know, into, into the pharmaceutical world. And for the patients, when you talk about kind of the clinical trials, again, it is, if you're a patient going through a clinical trial, you know, decentralized trials are obviously a huge wave right now, the, the, the way that everyone's going to run a trial in the future, digital technologies enable you to collect these measures from the comfort of your own home as a patient on your personal device or on a company provided device. And conversely, if you're a patient, historically in these clinical trials, you kind of have limited access to know what you're doing. You're just taking tests, giving data right, left and right. But what we provide is a full consumer journey such that even during a clinical trial like that, you can be educated on what your what your scoring means, why you're taking these tests, what that data represents about your brain and how that plays out in the real world. So we're providing that consumer journey as well, even within the context of a B2B company. There's so much that, like when we think about the conversations that we have with people who think about shifting, you mentioned the pen and paper and just digitizing that as one step that everyone kind of assumes is the purpose the end all be all of digitizing anything. And we hear it a lot in VR, of course. People say, well, we have a YouTube video, so we don't really see a need, or what is the need is the side-by-side. -side. And I totally understand where they're coming from. But what what is so cool about what you're describing is it's fundamentally changing just the way we consider distributing the value of something that has been already studied robustly and, and plenty of patients and, and educators and physicians have had access to it, but now it's just so much better and enabled and empowered because of the way it's being delivered. And I, and I, I think another piece of this that I, maybe you could just spend 30 seconds or a minute on here is the barriers to educating for physicians, because I, I this is where, if, if you look at kidney care, a lot of people talk about the shift upstream and the ability to work with primary care to make it uh, easier to diagnose and manage kidney disease earlier, more effectively, for example. And the one of the greatest challenges is that education piece. So as we're introducing new tools that might make it easier to uh, deliver value to the patients, but also knowing that we have to figure out the right way to educate those stakeholders and to make their lives easier, what are some of the ways or things that you've had to learn in having to overcome the barriers to educating physicians? Yeah, you know, it's... It's an ongoing journey for us because 
there are so many physician stakeholders in this space. When it comes to memory care and cognitive care in general, most people just aren't receiving it who should be receiving it. So you talk about, you know, the first instinct may be neurologists and they are a huge part of what we do. And they really are the leading light in how we think about this space. But, you know, all too often individuals aren't making it to that layer of care. They're not getting to the specialist when they should be receiving general cognitive assessment in their GP's office. So, you know, there is kind of a, a multi-pronged approach to physician education, and we need to kind of make sure that we're providing the right level of fidelity for management and care planning, depending on where you are in that journey. And the other thing is about kind of the the longer arc here and what we hope to be, you know, where, where we intend to power um, the future of this space is also in kind of companion diagnostics in the field as, as more neurological disease therapies come to market with efficacious disease modifying effects across the spectrum, not just in Alzheimer's, but in so many other neurological diseases and neurodegenerative disorders, having a companion diagnostic that can help physicians better understand who should be on that therapy is, is critical. So we, in, you know, we are providing and building that solution for pharma to have kind of an end-to-end, um, an end-to-end management from the kind of cradle to not grave per se, but cradle to, I don't know, you could say generic maybe, but <laughs> sure. cradle to end of life of a, of a therapy as it goes, you know, from its clinical trials to market, um, needing kind of that screening, monitoring, companion diagnostic in the field solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I appreciate you, you kind of digging in there because there's definitely quite a bit for people to, to appreciate. And I, I'm sure I'll be talking to people about that exact topic. Uh, that's quite a bit in the next few months. Um, last last question here. I, I just want to give you a chance to talk about what you're most excited, optimistic about. You've already mentioned quite a few technologies that you're working with and kind of this, the long arc of where you hope to be. When you think about healthcare as a whole, right? So it can be within your space or more generally speaking, um, especially given that you've kind of been in some interesting feats, very different types and sizes of companies over the years. What are you excited about on kind of the short-term horizon? So let's say in the next 12, 24 months, and then more on that five to 10 year horizon for technologies, care delivery. I'm just curious what's going on in your, in your mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think kind of making, making that nice, that nice transition still leaning in on, on VR and AR thinking about that, you know, I come from, as I mentioned, surgical robotics and I see a really, a really rising tide for a lot of these kind of surgical training and education companies doing what, you know, analogous things to what you're doing in kidney care, using similar technologies, but targeting providers and, you know, really surgeons in a different space. Um, education in orthopedics, when you look at companies like Oso VR, Precision OS, you know, a lot of these really, really um, well-founded and scientifically built companies. Um, and then you see it really now coming into some of the other surgical specialties as well. And then you see the efficacy of that moving into rehabilitation past just training somebody to perform higher. It's also now, can I get you back to where you need to be? Can I prove that, um, you know, that and a new level of efficacy with these kind of immersive technologies? So I think immersive, the right level of immersion for the right application unlocks a tremendous amount of value. And then on the longer arc, you know, following that VR, AR thread into the metaverse a bit, you know, I am very interested and involved in decentralized science. Um, And so I think maybe, you know, while in the next two years, I think there's going to be a lot of the foundation laid um, and a lot of movement happening. I think within that next kind of five-year onward time horizon, you are going to see, you know, industries like biotech 
really leverage decentralized science. It's going to become important for those later innings of biotech to be able to, um, you know, access talent outside of key areas, raise funding in new in different ways. Um, and I would put a like a, an ending bet here. I look at some of these other, you know, some of these decentralized companies. I got to give a shout out to like Molecule, Genomes DAO, and and all these and these kind of guys, um, guys and, and folks. I would bet that in the next like call it five years, you see a DAO sell an asset to a major pharmaceutical company. So somebody at the ground level kind of rather than go through traditional tech transfer and take your small molecule and yeah, 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 you go through a DAO and a decentralized investment vehicle. And that makes its way to a commercial commercial therapy that is owned by a major pharma company. I would love to take that bet and I hope we see it. And uh, I will mark those words and come back to you when we're celebrating that happening short of five years from now. We'll see. Um, Henry, thank you. This has been incredible. I, last thing before we leave, where can people connect with you and see your meme Fridays and see what you're working on <laughs> day to day? Yeah, definitely. Definitely LinkedIn for sure. LinkedIn and Twitter are the best ways. So yeah, all in, all in the, uh, I'll give, put them all in the comments. Perfect. We'll put them in the comments in the show notes. I'll also be including uh, some of the DAOs you mentioned who I, there's, a few great threads that I think people will enjoy. Oh yeah. But uh, Henry, I'll have to throw, I'll have to throw it back to links for data ownership too. They would be mad if I didn't say anything. I, I was expecting it and it'll, it'll be in there. So we'll make sure we have it. Henry, thank you for coming on D-10. Always a pleasure chatting with you and I know we'll talk soon. Thanks so much, Tim. 